And in my head, the reason I think of this story when I think of resilience is because I told him that you're going to keep eating these cream cheese and jelly sandwiches and you're not going to let anyone say anything about it. the psychology of the TED Talk before we get into... Oh, sure. Can I um, <clears throat> absolutely. It's up to you. <clears throat> um, so I mentioned this on the phone a little bit, but um, the, the concept of a TED Talk to me is uh, one of the things that uh, people who, who are trying to establish a, uh, a, a signature message or style for their career is going to be the single most important thing they can do. So who's your favorite music artist? Chris Mountain. Chris Mountain. Okay, I don't know that person. Coldplay. <laughs> Coldplay. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, How to Save a Life, I think that was by Coldplay. Yeah. Right, that signature song is like the thing that they are known for. Michael Jackson, Thriller, that album is the thing that they're known for. To me, communication becomes this like fundamental element of creativity. And what I've seen, and this is kind of my thought, and I've been working out with a lot of speakers, is I think most speakers who have a message, a brand, a purpose that they stand for should start creating albums of speeches. Meaning, Michael Jackson's Thriller, right? One to eight speech, uh, I think it was like 40 minutes. It had like eight songs, but 100 million records it sold. It was an unbelievable classic. Those eight songs were kind of like a framework of, of his life that he, that he put out there. Now speakers can speak for like 45 minutes for a keynote. Why does Michael Jackson's 40 minute thriller of those eight songs matter so much more than anybody's 45 minute keynote? It's because those songs, they're two to three minute, they're bite sized, they, they can stick with you, you can play them all the time, and they have this type of like um, essence to them that applies to as many people as possible. It's relatable to 100 million people. The concept of a TED Talk is this 15 to 18 minute scientifically timed idea that people will pay attention to a message you have to share, which is why their whole mission is ideas worth sharing or ideas worth spreading. And if you can capture their attention within those 15 to 18 minutes, you can have a fundamentally profound impact on the world. And the beautiful thing about TED Talks is that Creativity is communication. How you communicate is how you're creative. Painters, singers, drawers, artists. The problem with all of those creative forms is that you, at some core, you need to have talent. You have to be able to sing. You have to be able to draw, right? Like you have to have some raw natural talent. With speaking, you don't really need to have any talent. You just need to know how to speak. And all of us can speak, right? So now you need some training, but it's, it, it's not natural. It's experiential. It can be learned on how to get better at it. So these 15 to 18 minutes or 10 minutes, whatever it may be, the way I want you to think of it is it is literally a, uh, it is, a, it is a stepping stone into an entire different world if you can get viral. And what I mean by viral is not just like get a ton of views on social media, but actually have a message that resonates with as many people as possible. And this is where we see speakers like Simon Sinek, right? Nine years ago, he had a talk about leadership and organizations. That talk launched him into a leadership speaker for the rest of his life. I think he gets paid like 100 grand per speech now, just, just for leadership. I could be making that number up, but he is one of... From that TED talk, it was called First Why Then Trust. It got like nine million views. Uh, Brene Brown, she was another person. She did a lot of research on vulnerability and why human beings have a hard time being vulnerable um, with, with uh, interpersonal relationships, with, with, in companies. She gave a TED talk on why you shouldn't be vulnerable or why you should be vulnerable and like it was very motivational. That got like three million views overnight. 
every company on the planet started calling her. It's like, can you come speak to our leadership team? Because we need you to talk about vulnerability um, and, and how it relates at the intersection of leadership. So this, the whole point I'm bringing this up is because oratory and speaking has been around for thousands of years. TED did something fantastic in 1984 where they turned the concept of oratory and the concepts of a speech and they and they they branded it into this song into this painting into into this creative outlet that people who don't have natural talent in all the other creative types of communication could potentially win in this era so as the world you know gets more inclusive and things get more democratized more people have more opportunities to me ted has given people who have no natural talent in all the other uh, basic forms of communication that, that, that can launch you into a, a new stratosphere of success. An opportunity, if they have an idea and they're willing to effectively communicate it, to still have a platform to gain massive distribution in the world. Because who wants to listen to someone speaking for 15 minutes versus listen to their favorite song on the radio? Everyone, 100 out of 10, it's nine out, 10 out of 10 times, it's the song on the radio because it makes us feel good. It's this different feeling. The people that have won in TED have figured out how to make a song, essentially, metaphorically, out of their speech that is related to millions of people. Um, now, you're obviously aiming for a different audience, right? You're not going to get like 13-year-old girls who want to hear Justin Bieber. You're aiming for a much more mature audience who's willing to listen to the content of your talk. But there's a lot of people out there who would be willing to do it. Um, the actual part of going viral on social media, that's a different discussion because that involves a lot of uh, technical elements of, of branding and marketing and, and you're a good marketer so I know you know how to brand yourself but that, I, I truly believe if the content of the speech is good you're gonna win like if the content of the speech because then people are gonna share it people are gonna like it people are gonna send it to their mom and their sister so it will go viral if the content of it is enough to sustain their attention for those 10 to 15 minutes even if it's not a TED talk because this is a TEDx talk, right? A TED talk is they have one conference per year. The tickets are like $15,000 per seat to come see these speakers. Like those are the best of the best speakers. TEDx is more so their um, democratized way to influence public speaking around the world. So TEDx at Bergen Community College is just like one TEDx at one city in New Jersey that no one knows about. So you're not supposed to go viral. They're going to put your talk online, but you, you're not supposed to mean anything because you're not the TED speaker. So if the content of the speech we can get good, um, there's a very, very good chance that we can actually influence a lot of people. So the way I, I'm just saying, because I want you to think of this as like, your career hasn't even started yet, if, if given this opportunity, right? And I know you've, had a, you've been in business for a very long time, right? If you have this thing that people can resonate with, that can get you attention, everything changes. More companies start calling you for consulting, um, more people want to listen to your ideas, then you start the uh, part of personal branding where you start putting out more content about this idea of, of leadership and women or whatever you talked about. Um, and, you just, and, and things fundamentally change. But to me, I just think it's such an amazing opportunity because we have the infrastructure and the technology available in 2020. We're speaking like something that people are not supposed to care that it's not as creative as drawing. It's not that creative as music. But we have a branded era of speaking being in this threshold where if you can speak effectively, if you can communicate, and if you have something meaningful to say, you can forget change the world, right? You can get the world on your side with whatever message or brand or idea you have. Um, which is why I think it's really important to take this talk seriously, right? Because it, it can really change your life. So yeah. that's pretty much it. Awesome. Cool. Um,
So before you get into the, the slides, I, what's the idea of the talk? If you could just bring yeah, it down to me. Um, quick question, did you record that? Yeah. Oh, great. I'd love to see it. You'd love to see it again? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to send you the video later so you can okay. see the whole thing. Yeah. yeah um, so the message of my talk, the title of my talk is Speaking Without Apologies. And okay. um, I guess I should claim it more succinctly. But, um, I'm going to be taking notes as well. Yeah, it's basically um, a demonstration of how we, in everyday conversation, dilute our value with speech qualifiers, which we unconsciously don't realize um, is tapping into our lack of confidence in that moment, not that we're not confident individuals, and how we can swiftly turn around, turn it around by, by just tweaking our speech and showing up um, intentional to whatever we, why we are in any conversation, intentional to who we are and why we're there in the first place. Um, so a little background about speaking without apology. Mm -hmm. um, I was approached by a uh, large university, NYU, and uh, they had asked me to come up with a talk which tapped into the fact that women in America are constantly apologizing. Mm -hmm. they want, you know, and who is this talk for? NYU. Uh, to deliver to who? Uh, women alumni. Gotcha, cool. Yeah. So she had asked me to come up with a talk and knew I was tapped into soft Right. Um, so they asked me to do this and they said, do you don't care what you call the talk? Save it however you like, but we just want to tap into that one message uh, of, of changing how people show up in how women show up in conversations, in that they are constantly apologizing. And I don't usually uh, follow or just hit the ground running with whatever anyone asks me to do. I'm right. an NYU alum, but that really wasn't you know, like an ego thing, or I wanted to. Look. I I really liked this idea because I felt like I was my own student. Um, I frequently found myself apologizing uh, as well, and I still catch myself every day. I'm teaching my daughter to do that as well. How old's your daughter? She's 13, uh, 14. Gotcha. Um, and I hear it on a regular basis from really, really successful business people to teenagers, girl or boy. Um, so long story short, I did this talk. I decided to come up with the name, Find Your Voice, Speaking Without Apologies. And since then, uh, it just took off. I've been invited by many corporations to do this talk, mainly women. Mm -hmm. uh, but over the years, I've, I've been told by men who come up to me after the, 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 the keynote and say, you know what, I know this is specifically for women, but I relate to that. You know, I'm a sales guy, and I don't feel like I'm showing up as powerful when I'm prospecting. I feel like everyone perceives me as a sales guy. Mm -hmm. I'm actually trying to make a difference. I'm really tapped into why I make a difference, and I don't think I'm doing a good job of communicating that. Right. Um, hmm. So that's how the, the talk, uh, so I've been doing the talk uh, since, I think, 2013, 2013, yeah. I don't remember. Um, and then most recently when I uh, was chosen for the TED Talk, I just thought, well, what would I, I did, I did mention this talk, uh, is what I wanted to pitch. Right, about. right. Yeah, so it seems Okay, so first couple thoughts, and then I'm going to go super devil's advocate and really try to yeah. ruin it out of you. Um, one, I love how narrow this is. The, the, the talks that I've seen succeed on TED are not just like 
you know, how to move past failure or how to reach success. I mean, these are really broad, broad categories. We want to think of something people are going to click on. So how to speak without apology, and we'll figure out how to name it over. Already, this sounds like a very narrow idea in a large niche of communication that has the potential for people to click on it because it's a very specific idea and it's a very nuanced idea based on what you're describing, particularly in terms of the impacts of how communicators can better effectively communicate if they take some of the strategies that are in this talk. Second of all, it's a narrow in your demographic because it's, it seems based upon um, your five years of, of speaking this idea, it's been towards women, which is good because that means the essence of how we reverse engineer this talk is going to be geared towards that demographic, but it's applicable to other demographics, which is good, right? Because sometimes you try to hit everybody and it doesn't work, but if you hit one group and it resonates with other people as a byproduct of just how effective it is, you're going to get all those women who are massively going to be sharing it um, and then men still catching on to the idea. Um, and the third thing is that it's in the communication niche. And um, this is what I've noticed over the past two years of, of trying to understand why the psychology behind why people care about communication. And I mean, the answer is simple. Like we literally communicate every day, right? There is, without communication, we die. There, there's no way for us to live. So I, I started noticing people making videos on um, how to pick up women or how to pick up men or how to effectively flirt or um, how to do sales, right? Or how to do a public speech. Like for some reason, all humans are like fascinated with how they can better say things with nonverbal or verbal communication that gets a result at the end. Mm -hmm. And I think the two things of this talk are like you're giving a strategy for them to get a result, right. which is speaking without apology and what we'll talk about what that means. And second of all, it's 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 narrowed. It's not just like words you can say that make a sale, but it's it's a it's a like a framework that you've designed without apology, SWA that gets you what you want to get and will define what you want to get. So there's two narrow things about this, and it's targeted at one demographic, but it relates to multiple people, which already, to me, gives it a value of a TED Talk. And, I, and I'm not just saying this to say this. Like, that's really, really important, because I've talked with people before who have these broad ideas that they want to speak about, and it's just so hard to, like, actually get it to materialize, right? Because there's no, there's no substance to it. There's no framework for it. There's no, like, foundation for it. But this one, it seems like there's already a, a good thing that we can start working with. What were the two things? The two things were, um, it, is, uh, it, is an, it is a strategy for effective communication, which everyone, for some reason, cares about. Um, it's targeted towards one main demographic. And it's narrow enough in the communication niche. Yes. And I don't really make any bones about that. Right. I'm just taking her here a minute. But um, I wasn't sure if I should uh, slant it towards women vocally. I, I didn't. I think you should. I, I think you should go to okay. go in. So make it about women speaking about You need to build a tribe of people who care about this message. And, the, and I was talking to a client the other day. He, he had to talk about um, how he, he wanted to criticize the self-help industry. Right? He wanted to say that self-help books are horrible because they're just lecture top-down approaches. And I told him, like, at the end of the day, you're going to have to make a decision. A lot of, there's a lot of people making money off the self-help industry. So when they see your TED Talk, they're not going to like your approach because you're basically saying your is propaganda stuff and it's bad for people. And he had a different strategy on how to solve that. So he, at the end of our consulting session, decided that he, for, for a lot of years, he's been trying to appease everybody. 
And that doesn't work when you're trying to build a, a fan of people who are loyal to you and loyal to your message. I think you should go all in on women um, because if, it has, if you've been asked to give this talk multiple times for five years, that means it's resonated with women leaders. It's only been for women leaders. It's only been for women leaders. And men have showed up. Right. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I'm doing another one in six weeks, another one. It's still coming up. <laughs> no, that, that, yeah, and I, even in the title, we can say how to speak without apology for women, something like that, because women, if, if, if women will share it. Right, they will share it right. with other women, and they right. will share it well, with that's their. How it spread. They've been referring it on. Right, yeah. and they will share it with other senior leader women in companies who are then going to come ask you to talk. Like you need to target it towards women, and then if men see it and it resonates with them, then they're not going to, you know, be annoyed that it resonates with them because you're talking to women. I mean, if they do, then that you probably didn't want that person as a fan anyway. No. Um, so yeah, I think you should go all in, okay. make it narrow. Okay. Yeah. I I guess in a way. Well, I don't even think it's isolating. I think, well, there is a specific reason why women, women's leadership is different than men's leadership, and it's because women have just recently started becoming leaders in corporate America. Like, men have been leaders for a very, very long time, which has created a lot of toxicity and culture in companies, which is the whole reason for diversity and inclusion in coaching. And I, even on your website, you branded yourself pretty effectively as a women's uh, leadership trainer. So. I don't think you're isolating. I think you're solving a gap in the market, which is that women need better leadership role models, right? Because we have a lot of men's leadership role models because they've been CEOs for companies since the beginning of time. But we've very recently just started getting women who are the top CEOs and founders of companies um, because we're getting more diverse. So I think you go all in on that. I think you make that the theme of your speech. Um, and that's your niche, right? Like if you've been, you don't want to just talk to old leaders because I mean, it's, it's good to grab all of them, but if, you, if it's targeted towards that one demographic and you can get those women leaders, then it's going to apply. It's going it's to work. And as companies are trying to become more inclusive and diverse, they, you know, Google is going to start to reach out to you to talk to their women and to their whole leadership team, right? Brene Brown doesn't just talk to women. She talks to a lot of people. Um, and, and, and she uses her experiences as a woman in corporate America to really build off of her, her narratives and her talks. So I think, I think you'll get recruited in general, but I think you definitely should stay narrow because it's going to help us. And I think the experiences and examples we use in the speech are going to be coming from your personal experience of working with women. Well, yeah, actually the examples I give are using women's names. Exactly. It's only because I memorized them for so long. I couldn't change it to John. Couldn't change it to John or Jessica. Jessica, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. No, yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, Okay, so now we've got to break down this idea a little bit so we really understand it. So explain to me, in a nutshell, what is speaking without an apology? Um, speaking without apology is a uh, approach, communications approach, to transforming how you communicate through your internal and your external dialogue, through uh, mindset. Right. No, it's okay. Swapping words that unconsciously dilute your value. So it is an internal and external approach to communication yes. that is based upon the mindset that one has when going into a communicative activity uh, interpersonally, as I think could we'll. Be email. Could be email. Could be conversation. Could be cool, so communication in general. And the speech qualifiers is the problem, correct? Yes. Cool, so this is. So, um, 
So, look, so we're going to isolate that right now. We're going to put it in stone. Every talk needs a problem, right? Every talk needs a mission, because you're telling a story, and every story needs a problem that we can solve. And we have to be seen as the savior of that problem, which elevates our credibility and our ethos in the speech. Um, so speaking without apology is going to be the savior of the problem, and the problem is speech qualifiers. Now, what is a speech qualifier? What would your talk's definition of it be? Uh, words uh, that, um, like the word just, mm -hmm. but qualifiers in the uh, oh. that, um, you know, I don't know what the technical definition of a speech qualifier is, I just know that they are. Um, so would it be like filler words, like, uh, yeah. like if I say, uh, or? No. No, well, so it's um, Just, but, basically, actually. Literally. Things like that. Okay. Why are these a problem in communication that you've uh, researched? Um, because they shoot yourself down before you've even had a chance to okay. say what, which, what you mean. Okay. It's almost like it's rejecting yourself before anyone else has had a chance to reject you. Okay. Can you give me an example of that? Yes. I yeah. have lots of examples. Okay. So, let's say, um, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll use a portion from my presentation. Yep. Go ahead. Let's say, uh, Emmett, you are standing in the way of getting my job done. And I've been trying to get in a meeting with you, and you haven't gotten back to me. And I'm losing a lot of time, so I call you up and I say, hey, Emmett, how's it going? I'm just calling to see if you have some time to meet with me on Friday. I'm just trying to see, I just want to know if you have a minute. Right away, that word just has diluted your value. Is, his is, is Emmett's time more valuable than your time? <coughs> Are you not qualified to meet with Emmett? And how bad do I really want to meet with Emmett? Mm. So say this instead. Emmett, how's it going? I have Friday at 2 p.m. open. Let's lock it in. Or feel free to suggest another time. What's nice about that? I'm, you're taking initiative. Right. You're not accepting no. And you're in movement. So the difference between Amit just checking in if you have time versus Amit I have time on Tuesday let's check it in. Now that distinction is very simple yet it seems very profound. Have you seen people like when you've given uh, this example to other people have you seen them use it and, it and it's been effective for them? Have they told you? People email me all the time. Really? I have not stopped writing, like rewriting. I'm removing the exclamation points. I'm removing the just. I have to go back and I still do it. Right. I do it too. Yeah. And then I go back. Once you're aware, what I'm hearing the feedback is, once you're aware of how you're speaking without apology, you will never not ever be aware again. It's like mm. riding on a bike. You can mm. ride on a bike for 50 years. Right. You'll remember after 50 years. I love that. You'll never forget. So here's, an here's another example. Mm. I just want you to know, here's what you need to know. I just called right. because, I'm calling because I need to see how things are going. Yeah. You see the end? Yes, absolutely. Like absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. I also give an example if I'm sending you an email and I say in the subject next steps, if I receive an email where someone sends me next steps, I feel like I'm being called to do something. Right. Someone is leading me. I'm being led here. Yeah. My back strings up. You've got my attention. Yeah. Who the hell do you think you are saying next step? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've experienced that before, actually. Yeah. Want another example? Yeah. Every Monday you meet with your team. And one Monday big meeting, one Monday you're late, you have a dentist appointment. Right. You come rushing into your peers, your manager, doesn't matter who it is, and you say, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late, but I had a dentist appointment. Right. We minimize our value with an explanation 
Just right. take the situation and move on. Morning. I had a dentist appointment. Catch me up. Keep it light and airy, direct. This is, uh, the more it, attention you give to something, right. the more you focus on it, the more other people focus on it. So let it go. So these just and buts are qualifying the things that we don't need to explain. Like we don't yeah. need to just ask you for your time. We need to right. schedule the meeting, not yeah. just check in to schedule the meeting. Right. Things of that nature. Well, I think the I think the commonality is it's you're, you're diluting yourself. Like you did something. What do you mean by dilute? Um, um, like, like I'm lowering myself. Right. I'm minimizing my value. Right. Everyone has dentist appointments. Right. Everyone gets stuck. In Everyone gets late sometimes. Yeah. It happens. Yep. Like last week, right? You can make it. Yeah. Like it yeah. happens. You don't have to. Explain yourself. And, it, and okay, I actually love this because in corporate America, everyone struggles with what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I've had friends who are seniors who, who just graduated um, and they're in corporate America and they have problems writing emails and, and doing communication. So the thing you're talking about, it's very, it's very simple in its approach, which is what I love about it, but it's very profound because of the immense impact we already see from getting your back straightened up from changing it. I think your target audience now this is now I can see why men relate to it because everyone relates to it in terms of corporate America. Right. Um, but I don't think men admit it. Interesting. Okay. I don't think they have the guts to admit it because I, of the yeah. stereotype that men are stuck in. Like right. They all have pride, and I'm not sure weakness. Right. So that you know, it's right. changing. Right. Absolutely. Men are allowed to show this. So you think women have been in a position over the past five years um, that have benefited more from these strategies from your talks because you think they've had to qualify themselves even more than other yes. uh, demographics in the, in the workplace. Yes, uh, their challenges are, 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 they have more greater challenges than men because men have always been placed. Right, and they've diluted themselves a little bit more right. based upon that. And that's why these strategies have been effective for them because once they stop diluting themselves, they're like, Marissa, this idea works, it got me what I wanted. my power. They just start owning their power. This is who I am, this is what I came to say. This is what I'm achieving in this email, this conversation. And that's who I am. And, and it's okay if I don't have everything else to figure it out. Perfect. Perfect. Do you think you can handle this? It's, you know, another speech player is, um, well, I think so. Well, basically, here's what I'm thinking. Do you think or do you know? Right. Right. I yeah. I know becomes here's what I know. Right. Teachers used to say that all the time. It's like, uh, I think the answer is like, do you think or do you know what the answer Actually, is? Yeah, you know, yeah. you're right. That's how I, that's probably where I got that from. <laughs> it's probably ingrained in my childhood. <laughs> okay. So here's, I'll send you this document as well. Um, so even if you don't take these notes as final, I'll make sure you get it. Yeah, no, I, here's how the talk is. Perfect. Um, how many seconds, I mean, seconds, how many minutes do you have for the talk? Um, I think it was. Uh, I think it's 15, but. Oh, you mean, oh, I thought you meant my talk. No, I'm, I'm under 15. I'm like 12 and change. How many is the community allowing you? 15? Yeah. Cool. I don't need 15, though. Perfect. Perfect. I think that's good. Okay, so top level layer of the talk. We are going to start the talk with establishing uh, the sympathy for populations, not even sympathy, rather the explanation for uh, populations that have been marginalized in the workplace. So the reason I'm saying that is um, we want to target, we want to stay narrow with this talk. Um, all of your examples have to do with women. Now, now I see why you were brought up, uh, should I, women or should I not? Everyone's going to relate to your talk. Abs absolutely. I can already see 
most corporate leaders who watch this talk relate to it because it has to do with communication. All of us communicate. However, all of your experiences and, and examples are about women. So I think we should still stick strong with women. And if we do that, and we can change this, but it's a dialogue. If we do that, that means we have to begin the framing of the talk, which is going to allow you to bridge into the problem that you're going into, which ultimately will lead you to the examples and the solution of an issue that is overarching in corporate America, because that's mainly your experience. This is where you have to place yourself in a dynamic that I like to call the individual versus the collective, meaning you as the savior with your strategy, um, and it's not in a narcissistic way, it's just that you're offering the strategy in the talk, have to come up with a problem that's big enough for people to actually care about. Now your problem that's big enough for people to care about is twofold. One, it's communication, because better effective communication just leads to better results. More financial opportunities, more um, social opportunities, more mobility in the company, things of that nature, and just like a better work life. But second of all, it's the problem that's specifically affecting one demographic of people that have historically been marginalized and are only just based upon the consciousness of diversity and inclusion are starting to get um, not as marginalized in the workplace. Which means I think the top level framing of the top, this would be like a minute 30, um, would be discussing some type of historical uh, event or set of events that have led to marginalization of women. So this could be a couple stats. Right? How long? When was the first? When was the first time we had a woman CEO? Um, I'm, I would say it's fairly recent, probably in the 20, 30 years. We've we've actually allowed that stuff. Uh, when have we stopped saying that women should be in the house taking care of babies and actually putting themselves into the work environment? When did these things start coming? And then we can find some good statistics and like little nitty bitty. Um, fun facts about this stuff that really hit the audience when we say them at the beginning that set up the problem that corporate America is sexist and this is something that no one can deny based upon like three or four facts that you give. Then we get into the bridge to the sub-problem. It's like, okay, we know that corporate America is sexist and you have to own this, right? You have to own this because if you don't own this, if you're saying it with a hint of, oh, men are going to hear me say this and judge me, you're going to lose. So that's the first thing we're going to do is we are going to highlight what the problem of this speech looks like. Marissa Ted Talk. I think you might be able to even drop it on, on here. On here? Oh, actually, yeah, we probably could. Yep, that works. Women in corporate, and then communication. So yeah, that's why. And 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 if you feel super uncomfortable with that stance, then that's something we can talk about. But yes, I think you need to win that corporate America is sexist. Um, and I don't think it's a hard thing to win. I don't think that necessarily makes you someone who's like the bad person or anything. I, it's, just like, it's just like someone saying corporate America is racist. I mean, corp, they're, they're, these are major conglomerate corporations who have just started implementing diversity and inclusion campaigns over the past like four or five years because they're starting to recognize that a lot of the stuff that they're doing is unacceptable. Um, we saw it with the H&M ca campaign problem, with the Gucci campaign problem. I mean, multi-billion dollar brands don't have people of color, women in the room when deciding on marketing and advertising campaigns. And marketing and advertising is what influence pop culture because it is what they're feeding down our throats, what they're paying hundreds of millions of dollars to get us to see. And when you have very biased messages in these campaigns, it really affects a society. 
So I think at the overarching level, we can win that women in corporate America are marginalized. If you don't want to go as far as saying corporate America is like totally sexist, you can still say that there are marginalized positions that have just been started, that have just started to not be as marginalized as before uh, in corporate America. And, and then, and so like if we win that, then we just have to win. So this is our overarching theme. This is going to structure the framework for the talk. Um, or sorry, the foundation for the talk. The foundation is something that you're going to come back on when we get to the solution. Um, the problem is also going to be functioning as your hook. So your hook is how you get people actually excited and interested into the talk. Within the first 30 seconds, if you don't get people listening or caring, they're going to click out of the talk, right? And you're not going to have a chance to go to spread your message. That's why songs in the beginning have to like have something catchy to, to really get us to care. If you make a statement, you know, I can imagine you coming out and just looking at the audience and saying, corporate America is sexist. Boom. People start paying attention. Now, whether that's the best way to start, we'll think about it. But nonetheless, you've got people hooked. They're willing to give you another 30 seconds to listen. And all you want in this public speaking game is the chance for people to give you a little bit more time to listen to what you're saying. Because that 30 seconds turns into a minute. That minute turns into two minutes, five, 10. By the time you know it, they've listened to your talk, and now they care about what you have to say. Um, and then we have to bridge the gap between the communication problem. This is going to be the universality play. Um, so let me, uh, real quick, the individual versus collective thing I was, I was talking about a second ago, uh, again, you need to place yourself as the savior who's going against a larger collective. So with the person I talked to last week who, who was criticizing the self-help industry, he is positioning himself as an individual who's going against this massive collective group of people that has power, influence, and what he thinks are, are, is an unethical way of, of, of like engaging with the world based upon whatever reasons he has. Um, the reason you need to go against the collective is the same reason why we love the underdog story. It's the same reason why we love rags to riches. And this is like the psychology that I think people don't understand why talks go viral or why talks are, are beautiful or like amazing is because there's a foundational psychology that is universal to all of us, which is that we love rooting for the, the, the people who are down by 15 at halftime to win the game because it seems like they shouldn't have a chance. It seems like they shouldn't win. So for you, when you're going against the, the, the collective, you're, what the collective is powerful corporate America, not even just powerful men, but powerful corporations that are, not, that, that are creating the conditions that facilitate women in particular to dilute their communicative strategies or dilute themselves through communication. Which means, and, and this is very important, we need to understand why people are diluting themselves in communication. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and it's such a, I mean, I, I'm just struggling with, I don't really believe that corporate America is the reason, I mean, I don't, I think that they're, I guess I'm just having a hard, no, that's fine, this is what we have to talk about. So what would be the reason for why people have a hard time communicating in, um, I think in, it's learned in, as a child, I think women just learn it as children. Why? Role models, lack of role models. Okay, so that connects still back. So th again, that connects back to some reason specific to women, right? Yeah. Other. I mean, yeah. I like where you're going with right. women in corporate. I just I never spun it that way. I never uh, said right. you're the reason for. Like I I never said that. It was always based upon the individual for you. I just yeah. I, I believe that if I believe speaking without apology can solve the problem for women in corporate, but that's not the same thing as saying. Right. Okay. I don't, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just. Yeah, so, th no, and that's totally fine. This is why we have to have a dialogue. The reason I'm thinking about this is because I'm trying to think of what is the reason for why 
women are struggling with communication. Yeah. Now, for, now, the only difference we have is you're thinking it's learned from when they were younger, there's lack of role models, and it's just manifests itself in the workplace. I'm thinking, is the workplace creating any conditions for this to happen? Um, yeah. No, it is. You're right. I mean, it is creating new conditions. I guess it's both. Um, I just never really focused on the latter. On the latter. And I get what you're saying. Like, bring it home and be that underdog. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is like you, you got to stand for something in these talks, and you got to have a problem that's spicy enough, uh, and, and not to the point where you're manufacturing something that's fake and that you're just trying to build a story. And that's why I talked about the sexism and racism in corporate America, because I don't think you're building a story. I guess I'm trying to go deeper into why women have a problem effectively communicating more than men, even though you think men still have the problem. Yeah. And if there is a condition that is from an overarching structure, that allows you to position that structure as the issue, which then, it's not condemning that structure, right? You're not saying Googles and Facebooks and Amazons are horrible. You're just saying there's toxic cultures. I mean, Uber CEO got fired last year, right? Mm -hmm. Because he had a frat boy culture in the company. I mean, that's an issue, that's a problem, right? Uber's a multi-billion dollar company that's innovative, it's got a lot of taxi drivers out of business, right? It's doing amazing things, but they have a toxic uh, frat boy-like culture. So there are, there are, I can see women in, in, in Uber potentially have, having to explain why they had a dentist appointment more than maybe women in uh, Patagonia, right? Right, right. And if we can zero down on that, um, and I, this would only be for like 30 seconds, right? It, it doesn't have to be the, whole talk, but if we can at least get the audience to feel that there is an issue and then their strategies resolve it, yeah, we move I forward. Yeah, I mean, there's control. It's control. Right. People, women feel controlled and they need to ask for the permission first. Right. Cool. So okay. that's true. Um, there's control. Uh, there's not a support system for women. Lack of control. Uh, no support system. Yeah. Um, they're suppressed. Not given the freedom to voice their opinions. In fact, it's funny. I did a blog um, many years ago. I wrote it was called "Girl Interrupted," right? And it was about the classic scene where you're in a meeting and a woman interrupts and mm -hmm. shares her. No, a woman shares. She doesn't interrupt. She shares her opinion or idea. Right. And she gets shot down by a man. She gets interrupted with the little finger. Right. And she. And the, and the consequence of that is, yeah, sure, you may think, okay, well, the meeting went. A little awkward, but that's right. not true. That the repercussions of that one one example where the man shoots her down is that that woman will never ever voice her Speak up again. voice again. She'll yeah. never do it. Not in a small meeting, not in a big meeting, not in a presentation. She will never do it again. That's what I meant with suppression. So right. I'm gonna write yeah. your blog post just for us to remember that. Yeah, that is girl interrupted. Girl interrupted. G interrupt. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's perfect, and I want you to be comfortable with this. I'm, I'm thinking of it from a creative storytelling perspective. Yeah, I know. And yeah, given yeah. from that perspective, I, I want to facilitate a problem, and this goes back to you know, when I did debate in high school, um, there would be a resolution. Like, so for example, just to give you real context, it was like uh, the United States should pass a living wage for all employers of $15. So I had to debate on the affirmative and the negative if this was a good idea. So on the affirmative, the problem would be, look, Corporate America sucks. That McDonald's makes like eleven billion dollars a year, and their employees make twenty thousand. Like, like, what, what type of in, unequitable world are we living in where we think that's okay? And we, and me and my team, we argued for like a cultural shift of how we understand valuing workers in a society. So the judge who had to vote for us, which was our money, their their ballot was our commodity to move further in these high stake national tournaments, was that they had to believe the problem was that bad. 
right, for, us, for them to really care about giving us their ballot to endorse our solution. When we were negative, our problem was like, look, the problem is not the lack of money. The problem is um, governmental regulations that have created lack of competition, which have not allowed the free market to naturally weigh, uh, uh, raise wages the way they should. So totally different perspective, delegitimizing the problem of the affirmative. And we said, if you have $21 and you have three employees that you pay seven bucks an hour, now you have to pay 15 bucks an hour. So you're going to get rid of two employees because you only have 21 to spend. And 15 times three is 45. You're not going to be able to afford it. So we said the affirmative makes things worse because they have to fire employees for this new cultural living wage shift. So regardless of whatever side you're on, you have to have a problem that can go counteract uh, and be resolved through some solution. So I think larger problem, women in corporate America are marginalized. And I think this uh, girl interrupted blog will turn into a little story. And then these five things are some things that we'll be able to win. The, and then we'll include some statistic. That minute of the statistic, the story, and winning this thesis has to be delivered with the most passion you can imagine when it comes at that moment. Because that's what's going to get people to share right in the beginning. Then that bridges us. So that's the first problem. Then that bridges us into the main problem, which is ultimately what your individualistic uh, Speak With Apology solution is going to be, which is uh, non-effective comm strategy. So now I think the bridge works really well, because we're just like, OK, so women in corporate America have been marginalized. They're afraid to speak up at meetings. Already, you've captured women who have listened to this talk. You're like, yes, that's me. Yeah, and we, can, and we can even run little targeted ads of your talk if you want to put some money behind this towards women in corporate America on Facebook who see this talk and are like, in the first minute, they're like, yeah, I've had problems speaking up in meetings. Yeah, I've felt intimidated by people. Yeah, I felt lack of control. Bam, you got your target audience hooked. Now you get into the main problem. It's like, OK, if this is true, the question becomes, what is the most important thing in the workplace? So this is something you would literally ask the audience. What is most important in workplace? This is setting up uh, the potential to your solution. So I would say this is like one minute to one and a half max. What is the most important problem? This will be a whole thing will probably be like about two minutes. Um, what, is the most pro what is the most hardest problem in the workplace? Communication. So then you need to go into a good rant for a good minute of why communication matters so much in the workplace. This is pretty easy. right? This stuff you want to go through, I mean, like communication, if you can't communicate with your boss, your, your project managers, your, uh, the people you're communicating with, your team, blah, 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 blah. Things get lost in translation. Work doesn't get done. People miss spot uh, revenue targets, all that stuff. So communication, and that's why every job category that you apply for, whether it's the most technical coding position or the most basic HR position of just like managing small things, says effective communication skills is at the very top of their, of their um, requirements. Even before you get a bachelor's degree, right? they need to know that you can communicate, which is why they pay people so much money to help uh, employees learn communication. So you've won the first problem. Now you win the second problem. That well, you've won the, the, the foundation before you even won the problem that the most important thing in, in, in the workplace is comms more than anything else. Now, other talks may disagree with you. They may say the most important thing in the workplace is X, blah, 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 blah. But for you, I think this is universal enough that now you can start getting the rest of the audience hooked in, and you can win something that most people will agree with, which is that communication is the most important in the workplace. Um, so finally, after you've won that, now the question becomes, why or how come we don't communicate effectively? Or how come women, right? we can see how specific we want to be, don't communicate effectively. 
or how can, not how come, because you've already explained how come, right? Because lack of marginalization. How can women better if you gay? And this is where I think we get into a really good spot where you're going to start to get a lot of women agreeing with you, which is the whole idea. So this is the first um, solution, first solution framing. So it's not really the solution yet. It's just the framing for the solution about women empowerment. So. Cool. Awesome. Um, so how can women don't communicate effectively? Uh, or how, or so uh, women in corporate America, things are bad. What is the most important thing in the workplace? Communication. So we know two things. We know women in corporate America have it a little bit tougher than other people, and communication is the most important thing. So how can women better communicate in the workplace, and not just women, and you can even slide this in, how can we all do better at communication? And I think that starts to bridge you in into just generally talking about empowerment. Um, this is where you start talking about the framework about why women empowerment is important. Um, and women empowerment, or just empowerment in general, is something that all of us, I think, yeah, I think we can just go into empowerment in general. It doesn't even have to be women at this point, because now you're trying to get most people into your talk. Empo and being empowered in the workplace necessitates that we take active control over the words that we say, whether they're in written, nonverbal, or verbal form. And those words have, that ownership over those words allows us the level of autonomy and necessity to be able to succeed in an environment, in, in not even in the corporate world, but in any professional workplace world that you're working at. That empowerment now goes into your problem of uh, speaking without apology. So this is where you describe the just, but, Etc. examples. This to me is the most important part of the talk. This should take us a good, what we have one minute and a half, three minutes, or at three minutes this empowerment thing will probably take a minute. So one, uh, three, four, this will probably be the meat of your talk. This will be probably another four to five minutes. This is important because this is where we get to really, pr this is where your last, from 2014 to 2020, everything happens in these five minutes. These five minutes justify particular examples of uh, communication that you've been a part of, that, that, that all the examples you just told me, that highlight the problem with uh, speech qualifiers, essentially, right? So this is the meat of your talk. This is where you're gonna have a ton of examples about why speech qualifiers are bad. Um, this is where either people decide to share your talk or not share your talk, because this is the ultimate message. All of this stuff is just to get this part to matter, um, because none of this stuff matters if the, if the main thesis that you're winning isn't relevant or, or you're not going to be able to win it. So this is where the most effective communication delivery has to be. This stuff is where Google and Amazon are going to call you in to speak to the leadership team. Um, because there's a difference between seeing someone on a TED talk talk with speech with qualifiers and speaking without apology, and like Google can just email your TED talk to all their employees and they can watch the talk. The reason they, they pay 50, 60 grand for you to come in and talk to their people is because they have so much money that they can do it. And they want that real experiential workshop where their senior management can hear from you, from the person they believe has a message that is enough to share. There's this person named uh, Alex Benayan. 
he, at 19 years old, he wanted to figure out the world's most, he wanted to interview the world's most successful people. So he went on a seven year journey to find Bill Gates and Maya Angelou and Lady Gaga and he, and he found a way to interview them. Now how does a random 19 year old who has no connections find these people? Well he wrote a book. The book was called The Third Door and the whole concept is if the first door doesn't open and the second door doesn't open, you have to do some crazy shit to, to, to open this magical third door which gets you to these people. I think he's like 25, 26 years old now. He is literally going to, he started doing corporate speaking at 20 because he was on the journey at the time and he was documenting it. He just goes to corporations and he talks about the science of risk taking. That's it. Uh, and the science of risk taking is, is, is valuable to those corporations because those leaders have people who are so stringent and robotic and they want that entrepreneurial, just like innovative spirit gushing throughout their company. And they're willing to pay a lot of money um, for people to be able to bring that experience. And nonetheless, he's talking about something that he did, which was take a lot of risks to go find these crazy important people and then ultimately write a book about it. Why all these corporations have L&D programs, which are just basically just programs that invest into employee well-being. So they pay thousands of dollars per employee to learn new skills, whether that's like an art class or a public speaking class, so that these employees feel like Goldman Sachs gives a shit about them, right? And is actually investing in their, in their well-being. They are gonna come to you and ask you to talk about this methodology so that their employees have a better uh, method of communicating in the workplace. So that's why I'm saying these four to five minutes have to mean a lot. Now the question is, what do we want to include in these four to five minutes? So I think the first thing is our examples, and we already talked about that. Is there anything else you can give me? From well, actually, I think this is the time for you to give me your presentation. Oh, okay. This is probably the best time. So now I can hear it, and that'll help us organize the rest of this thing. Um, from the whole thing? Yep, the whole thing. Okay. Were you planning on using uh, slide decks in the... No. Okay. <clears throat> so you know the theme of the, the tent is we're doing this. Yep. You know, I have to be honest. When I first learned that today's theme was on resilience, I realized that I didn't actually know what the definition of that word meant. Resilience is when you're under... For me, resilience is when I'm under pressure to perform and still produce great results when time is not on my side. I'm sorry, let me just start again. Go ahead. <laughs> I really shouldn't read my slides. No, I'm you're good, I'll you're good. Okay. <clears throat> you know, I have to be honest. When I first learned that today's talk was on resilience, I realized that I didn't actually know what the definition of that word meant. For me, resilience is when you're under pressure to perform and still produce great results when time is not on your side and you're just trying to make it through the day. Resilience is what I try to tell my son to be when he's feeling knocked down by some people in the cafeteria who made fun of him because he brought in a cream cheese and jelly sandwich instead of a PB&J like everybody else. Resilience is when you're getting rejected and you're not really being told directly you're rejected. You're given that kind smile and nod. Uh, Thanks will keep you in mind and you still go back in there with pleasant persistence in spite of the radio silence, in spite of being in that gray state of limbo. Well, it turns out the true definition of resilience is the power to return back to original form after being bent or stretched. When you think about how you communicate, if you're not clear on what your original form is, your natural state of being, of who you are, and why you're there in the first place, then why would you expect anyone else to be clear? Today I want to talk to you about speaking without apology, because it can ex exponentially change how you show up energetically in any conversation intentional to who you are. There is language that you're using on an everyday basis that is diluting your value.
speech qualifiers that consistently feed into the sorry syndrome. Screaming, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough to lead a team, I'm not good enough to ask more comp, I'm not good enough to start my own business, I'm not good enough and qualified to ask for help or support. Warning, just want to say warning, this is not based on academic research. Everything I'm sharing with you today are words that I've been guilty of and I still have to catch myself on a regular basis and I guarantee you have as well. The first way you start speaking without apology is to answer this question and please write this down. How do I want to be perceived? How do I want to be perceived? Because the answer to that question will dictate how others respond to you and support you in whatever you're trying to achieve in that room. Let's talk about the word just. Let's say you're waiting on someone named Deborah who holds the keys to getting your work done and you haven't heard back from her. And so you give her a call or send her an email and you say, hey Deborah, I just wanted to see if you had some time to speak today. I just wanted to see if you had some time. Let me ask you, are you not good enough to meet with Deborah? Is her time more valuable than your time? And how bad do you really want to meet with her? Say this instead, Deborah, hi, I have Friday at 2 p.m. open. Let's get something on the calendar and lock it in, or please suggest another time. What's good about that? You're action-oriented, you're taking initiative, and you're not accepting no for an answer. Lead them. There are people in your life that are waiting for you to lead them. Subconsciously, everybody wants to be led. Everybody wants to be led, including you. I'm just checking in turns into, hi, how's it going? I just want you to know turns to, here's what you need to know. I just called because I'm calling to see how things are going. Uh, the second way you start speaking without apology is going with your gut leading with your intuition. Let's talk about the word basically. Let's say you're in your manager's meeting. You're in a meeting with your manager and he says, so Jessica, what's the plan? What do you think we should do? And she says, well, basically I had this idea which I thought could work well. Well, John, do you think you can handle this? I think so. Hold on, do you think or do you know? Say this instead. Here's a solid solution. Here's a solid plan which will work. Or you can say what my son said to me when he was just five years old and we were unpacking groceries from the car and I said to him, are you sure you can handle that? Those bags are awfully heavy. And he turned to me and he said, mom, I've got this. I've got this. Here's where we get hung up as humans. We have to know exactly every step-by-step -step plan of action in that moment or we will freeze and we will not speak up. If in that moment you feel you can do something that you've never done before, you will figure it out in spite of not knowing the how or you can look them in the eye and say, I've got this. And then go run back to your computer, your desk, you'll find a way. Go with your gut. When my father first came to this country in the 1950s from Italy, he had a few lira in his pocket. He spoke no English, didn't even write English up until the day he died 10 years ago. And yet he raised four children, he put us through school, and eventually I went, to, I went and got a very good education. We never lacked for anything. We went on vacations, I ate good food. How did he do that? How did he provide? He kept knocking on doors until he got the blue collar jobs that nobody wanted. He didn't care. When someone asked, Giovanni, do you think you can handle this? Certamente, of course, I've got this. Speaking without apology is answering the call. It's not waiting to be called. It's action, it's movement. It's where you're leaving people called to do something because they've placed their trust in you. Lead them. I don't know becomes here's what I know. Here's what I can do for you. If we're being honest, this isn't about 
who you're speaking to in that room or on the other side of that phone call. It's about you and how you see yourself. And once you can lock that in for yourself, the sky's the limit. Speaking without apology is also following your gut, even when you're silent. You know how you're in front of somebody and they're saying everything that you want to hear, all the right things, and you're nodding your head, but deep down in your gut, you know there's something not right about this person. I don't feel good about them. They're rubbing me the wrong way. And then we've all been in that situation when we've been in front of someone who's not saying anything that we want to hear. And yet, somewhere deep inside, we know, you know what, they've got my back. It's a balance. It's a delicate balance. As women, we want to be polite and agreeable, right? We want to be as light as a feather and still be that rock. We want to be the leader who's worth following, someone who's resilient and grounded and who knows the answer to any question that's asked on the fly. The third way you start speaking without apology is owning your power. And power, for some reason, we have a really difficult time with this word. Power is influence, it's not control. It's sharing your thoughts and ideas that spark action in another person. It's being a multiplier, not a diminisher. It's qualifying yourself to say the words, here's what I know will work, and then painting the picture for others and letting them run with your ideas and plus them to make them even better. A rising tide lifts all boats. Let's talk about the word actually. Well, actually, I have a question. Actually, I want to add something. Just ask the question. We all have the same question in the room. Just go for it. Go with your gut. Speaking without apology is also going against the grain and sticking your neck out when everyone in the room is bobbing their heads yes in agreement and you disagree with how things are being run. Speaking without apology is raising your hand and saying, you know what, Andrew, we can keep doing X, Y, and Z, but that hasn't been working very well. Here's what has to happen. Let's talk about the word but. You miss your morning meeting, key meeting, right, because you had a dentist appointment and you come running in and you said, morning, I'm so sorry, but I'm, I'm late. I had a dentist appointment. Catch me up. You undermine your value with an explanation. State the situation and move on. Keep it light, keep it airy. Morning, had a dentist appointment. Catch me up. The more intention we give to something, the more the spotlight is on us. Now, how do you know when your language is weakening you? Wouldn't it be great if we had a little radar system, right? Just notice how others are reacting to you that day. You can feel it, you know. Is everyone walking on eggshells? Everyone treating you special? So here's how weak language shows up. You go into a situation, and you're feeling good, and then all of a sudden, that positive expectation turns into negative self-talk, which in turn physically weakens your body, right? How health issues come up, stress. That lowers your confidence level, in turn showing up as weak language, which dilutes your value. Speaking without apology is also owning others' power. Instead of asking someone, hey, can you help me with? Try this instead. I can really use your expertise. I can really use your advice owning their power. Good news, energy flows where intention goes. People can feel your energy when you walk into the room. When you own your value, the word will, words will always come. They'll pick up your feeling, your intention, and this gives you so much more power to no longer worry about how you sound. Lead them. If you consider yourself a confident person who knows their value, that's great. But are you weaving it in? Are you always projecting that you are? How do I want to be perceived? Deep breath in. Exhale. Is it possible that the outside world is only responding to how you see yourself? You become what you believe. I'd rather live a day like a lion than a lifetime as a sheep. Mr. Alexander the Great. 
speaking without apology starts with your internal self-talk and trusting yourself on what you should say aligned with who you are, that authentic, natural state of being. You can bend, you can stretch, but you will not break. You will always return back to the original form. It's 9.30. I like this talk, man. 9 minute 30? Yeah. Really? I did talk when I was at home. It does not 30. <laughs> Um, maybe you're going a little bit I'm quicker. I'm so nervous. I'm no, I... Because I don't know you. I, I, I can't do it in front of you, I'm going to do it on this thing. Okay, we have to... Oh my God. I'm going to about to kill everybody in this library to just come so we can give you a talk. <laughs> do, do you, is that something... But you do a lot of public speaking. But they invite me in. So? I'm, a, I'm an invited guest. Oh, so you feel like you have... Uh, I'm an invited guest. You have expectations, right? I have a little invitation that says I'm allowed to be here. You see how I'm not even speaking with that? <laughs> <laughs> Right. But I have a problem with strangers. Like I just randomly show up. You know what I mean? So, but the, when you get invited, those people are strangers, the people you're talking to, right? Yeah, they are strangers. But you're still fine with that. It's just. Uh, I'm really not, but I kind of how, after the first two, three minutes, I just get over it. Right. I was about to ask how many minutes does it take you to just like get into your zone? Um, I'm usually rough in the beginning, and then once I start going into the heart, then I'm okay. I just let it go. Okay, so 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 we'll we'll get back to that in a second because I yeah. think hope I think I have some mindset tricks that may help with that. But um, yeah. no, I, I absolutely love this talk. The only the I love the solution. I love the idea. The only thing I I, I just think is is not good enough in the beginning. Um, is so you're saying things like today I want to speak to you about and it will fundamentally transform. This warning to the audience is the quickest way for the audience to be like. You're not gonna, <laughs> yeah, like, you're not gonna transform shit. Like, <laughs> like, like, you never want to warn them unless you really need to warn them. You want to let the talk speak for itself. And I actually talked to another client about this. He had like this whole paragraph introduction about what he was gonna do in the talk. I'm like, this is, this is not like you're not. What if you don't do it? Then your talk was a failure because you set up this burden for your that you didn't fulfill, and it's subjective, right. which means you can never fulfill that burden. Right? Unless you are the most phenomenal speaker ever, like you know, Simon Sinek is one of those people where if he sets up a burden that this talk is gonna change your life, he might actually fulfill it. Most of us, it's, it's hard for us to do that, right? So we don't even wanna warn, we wanna hope enough people agree with that. Um, the part where you go on a tangent where you're like, I'm not good enough, et cetera, I'm not this, I'm not that, that's important, but I think that's why this is important because there is no framework to understand why people think they're not important or why people don't think they're good enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why this stuff is going to really get the audience into that uh, mindset, which will allow them to relate to why they don't think they're good enough. But the actual solution, the example, so this four to five minutes I think was from minute like three to minute six uh, or to minute eight. Um, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. The solution? I, the solution, the examples, the, the specific, I think you gave just, but, and actually, uh, and then weaved into those, you were basically impacting each example, which is like advanced speech writing technique, which, uh, which, which I'm, I, you know, most people I work with, they don't know how to do that, but you, you really have that down. So like you would say the example about just, and then you would, after you say the example, you would explain why that's important. Say the example about but. Then you went into your whole uh, dad rant and about how he had to hustle. He never said but, right? He never said actually. There's an argument. Then actually. Then there's a story. So I think the meat of your talk is done. Like you have your, your three examples you want to work with. We just have to organize them. You have examples that follow under that I don't think were boring, that I think were funny. The, the five-year-old with the groceries. I think all this stuff was super relatable, super personable, super based upon experiences that multiple people can relate to and you're talking to corporate people who are in their 40s and 50s, um, maybe maybe late 30s who probably have kids, so like these things, probably their parents aren't, 
aren't around anymore, right? So this is just like audience demographics because again, you're targeting these people. You want to use examples that are personal to them. A lot of them might not have their parents anymore. A lot of them may, may have kids. Uh, these are all things that, that really relate. I loved the physical weakness thing. Um, oh, you like, see, I wanted to ask you about that. I'm so upset thinking about my father. <laughs> but it's true, he didn't have any money. Yeah. Mm, no, he... And he did it from confidence and speaking. I, I, I get emotional thinking about my mom right now. My, my mom went to the Harvard of India, and she came to America, and they were like, your degree means jack shit. So she had to work as a, as a cashier at Walgreens for five years while she had two kids go to college again. Because she, she, went, she got her bachelor's, and America was like, yeah, we're not accepting this. So she had to go to college again. She became a teacher. Um, she got us healthcare, <laughs> right? Like, she worked her ass off for 15 years, finally got promoted. Like, they sacrifice a lot for us, you know, a lot. And I, I, I and I'm. And, and you know what's, I really, I mean, on separate talk, I just feel like if, if we can incorporate that yes. immigrant yes. mentality, yep. I'm trying to teach that to my kids, but they're so, they're not spoiled, but they're so. No, it's a different generation. It's yeah, hard. It's, it's a different generation. Yeah. My dad worked at a gas station for four dollars an hour, like in in 1990. You know, and I sometimes I feel guilty sometimes about the money I'm making because like my dad, had, my dad, <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like we're not supposed yeah. to feel like, but like our parents had nothing, and they gave us everything for us for to succeed. And they came to America, and I I think you should keep that in that talk, keep okay. that there, keep your dad's story there. And I think maybe we can even highlight it a little bit more because again, immigrants, another population you can reach out to, right? That'll feel yeah. some type of. Um, I mean, relationship to the talk. The, um, I just wanted to show you the slide. See, I just said I just wanted to show you. See, I'm very. Are you just? Are you not valuing your time? <laughs> and the other good thing, real quick, before you show me that, is I just Googled during the talk speaking without apology. Yours is the first link that comes up. Yeah, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And I, 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 I while you were speaking, I was scared out of my mind that if I Google this and I see a bunch of links about this framework, that it may not be original. Uh, not saying that you didn't create it, but no. that's just that multiple people are talking about it, right? Like yes. if I looked up failure is key to success, there's not one person in the world talking about fail. Like there's thousands of people. You're the only person. You are. This is you. Okay. you know, I didn't this is you. Like yeah. this is actually, like if we can get this talk right and target it effectively, this can be you. Because you own this. Like Brene Brown owns the uh, using yeah. vulnerability as a framework for success. Yeah. And um, now vulnerability as a concept, everyone knows about it, but she's put the work in, she's put the research, she's studied about it, and then she was I able to communicate. Have you have experience, that's what matters. I have the experience. That's, that's it. That's why I put that in. Like, I don't yeah. shooting myself down by that, but I just want to, I want, I mean, I feel like, I don't know why I put that, I don't want to be like invalidating. No, I think you're actually valid, you don't need ivory tower academia to, oh, to validate anything. To now, Brene Brown studied vulnerability, which is awesome. Like, you did a, you, she did a lot of statistical analysis about surveying people. It's like, but at the end of the day, like, like that's one type of research. You've had five years of working with people where they've seen this problem, you offered a solution, this problem was changed. Now, what you could do, your talk could do, could establish a field of study about speech qualifiers and speaking without apology that could be studied by communication departments across the entire world. Like I'm saying, you have to dream really big about this. I can even see you, and I'm being super wacky right now, I can see you creating a, a, a partnering with a technology company that creates a software that analyzes emails and like you know Grammarly, yeah. that highlights speech qualifiers oh. and like immediately takes them out. And you could license that software to, to companies. I see. Like like I'm just thinking super big with this. Like I'm the, the, when you have a talk, you have to own that talk 
and own it with your life, right? I'll own this talk. This talk is my baby. It's it, my third child. And, and that's why I think you're so passionate about it. And that's why I think it can, it can launch so many new opportunities for you um, it, financially, economically, like just in a bunch of different ways. So I think, I think a lot of these examples, mix, and that's why I'm just happy when I Googled it, you were the only result. Okay. Because you own this, right? It's, I go to, it goes to nrshoes.com as yes. soon as I could. Which is good. Well, I, I also registered the domain, but I never actually Google Googled it. Like I, I, think I, I literally just Googled Speaking Without Apology, and that's what came up. Now, the original talk was called Find Your Voice Speaking Without Apology, but I, lo I love yeah. Find Your Voice because that's more like cliche. Yes. Like, yes, 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 yes. And yes. I personally don't even believe in that. I believe we all have a voice. So right. We're finding it. It's always right. there. So, right. You know, so I was kind of like, eh. It's not the best know. branding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I like this. I like this a lot. I, I want to show you. Um, Um, well, anyway, it was like a flow chart, but mm -hmm. I kind of, I kind of um, already uh, walked you through. You know, when I talked about negative self-talk, physical weakness, lower confidence, weak, weak language. Yeah. That was actually a flow chart. Uh, say, so say it one more time for me. It's um, well, I start with positive expectations. Yeah. Like meaning you're feeling good about something, and then you talk yourself out of it. Right. Which turns to negative self-talk. Right. Which and that leads to the physical wiles. Yeah, then physically weakening your body, which leads to stress and health issues. Yeah, and that's big, man. That that's big. Because, I mean... That's mindset. That's mindset, man. When you're, like, when you feel bad about something, everything stops in the day. And I've noticed it in college. Like, if some days I wake up and I'm not in the right mindset, the whole day is thrown off. Which is why I literally have to trick myself into feeling... That's why I have to go to the gym every day, because the gym gets me in a good mindset, which allows me to get through the day. Yeah. Um, and, and you're talking about communication as the basis for like uh, a mindset that doesn't allow you to have physical weakness. And I, like as soon as, a, as soon as you say just and you dilute yourself and then someone relaxed to that dilution and it results in something negative, now the rest of your day is over. Right. Because now you physically feel like horrible. And, say, and this is also important because mental health awareness right. is something that's big right now, right? Yeah. You have to think of the trends of the, of the status quo. Mental health is a big thing. Uh, and that's just seen with all the yoga companies and all the leaders and thought leadership around mental health. So this can even branch into a little bit of mental health and that SWA can resolve. Okay. Okay, so I think uh, the crux of this talk was good. The beginning, and again, this is just, this is kind of just why I'm here. How do we really incorporate this into a story? I think the resilience for me, um, you said like three things. Resilience is trying to make my son. Cream cheese jelly. Resilience rejected and not rejected. I think I think we can keep that at the beginning of the talk um, just because you can highlight on the concept of resilience. But the trade-off is that those 30 seconds is not getting us immediately into our hook. So we have to be objective about this. What hook do we want? The, uh, the hook in a public speech is how do we capture the audience's attention? This is the same when it comes to marketing, same when it comes to branding, same when it comes to sales and communication. You have to say something in the first couple seconds that gets them to care. Um, now, you started with like this kind of like, thank you for allowing me to be at this TED talk. Resilience for me is blah, 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 right? No, I know you didn't say thank you. I'm saying this is what the vibe comes off as. It's like, you know, when I heard the theme for today, it was resilience. <laughs> Resilience to me, it's kind of like you're, you're like ingratiating yourself into like the very, the fabric of the event by talking about the theme of the event, which I don't think you need to do. Because okay. I think you don't need yeah, to say. I, I know, I agree with that. I just right. didn't know where to start. I agree. And most people start with that, right? If the theme is think big, then they'll start with well, thinking big means. That's how I usually start. Like yeah. in a women's group or events. I'll just say, uh, you know, um, actually, what do I, I say, I start with the how do you want to be perceived? 
Right, right, yeah. right. I, no, actually, I'll say, you know, 90% of your beliefs, 90% uh, of your success is based on your beliefs and how you see yourself, and then I'll lead into the how do you want to be perceived question, but I know that doesn't work. Yeah, and, and the only thing about, like, 90% of your beliefs and is how you perceive yourself is, like, that it's too cliché. And you have a lot of cliches in here, but the, the reason I don't think they feel like cliches is because there is an original methodology that is talking about it. Like physical weakness, if your mindset is bad, you physically feel bad, that, that's a cliche. Everyone knows about this. The question about cliches is how do we inject them in the stories that we're telling for them to feel as if they are a central part of the communicative di uh, uh, monologue that you're uh, promoting that doesn't make people feel as if they don't need to talk about it. And I go to Simon Sinek a lot and I talk about him. He's talking about a very simple concept, if you know anything about him, about purpose and meaning in organizations. So he helps organizations find their why. He wrote a book called Start With Why. It, it, to me, it is, I mean, it, it, is a, it is a simple concept. It's like if you know the purpose of what your company is and it's not just a bullshit mission and vision, vision statement, you actually will have better company culture. That is, that is a simple concept. Like, it is the most obvious thing in the world. Two plus two is four. Oh, Simon Sinek, is he the one that did the circle? Yes, oh, yes. See, yes, you know, I did see it. See I this? didn't know that was a TED Talk. Yes, and the fact that you know the circles is yeah, literally... Circles now, he probably performed that circle thing in multiple places. Maybe he saw a different video. Okay. But that circle thing made him a yes. lot of money. But, so my point is, it's a very simple concept. Purpose, right? If you know your why, you can better do better things. But it doesn't feel like a cliche, cliche when he's speaking it because he articulate stories and narratives and experiences and he bridges the gap and he draws circles on boards that are three circles that are very easy to follow and he gives it to you in a way that you want to consume it. Um, one of my biggest fears in life, I have, I have a couple fears, one of my biggest fears is turning into the typical motivational speaker that tries to influence people without any context, that tries to motivate people without any purpose, that tries to preach about things that, that they think that, that sells to people um, because it's, it's like an objective fact about life, like failure leads to success that has no particular communicative um, uniqueness to it. And I've seen a lot of these bullshit motivational speakers online and it, and it really hurts me to see how much money they're making selling people fantasies and, and like things, and I think it's, it, I don't, I mean, I think it's, it's unethical in some situations and I, and I wouldn't want to be in that. So speaking without apology is a framework that is original, that has cliches embedded into it, that the, that the, that the framework allows you to feel those cliches are necessary to say. Like it's necessary to say you get physical weakness. It's not something you're just saying because you know people will agree with it. Um, no, the fact, the right. No, because I mean, I didn't do any academic research, but I did. Uh, I feel like out of everything, that's like my research. Right. You know, this is the. This is how it starts, and this is how it ends. Your research is better than academic research. You're in the field. You're talking to like yeah. actual people, right? Like academic research, at the, you know, it's like all high here statistical, then they uh, interpolate it to like random things and frameworks and. Okay. And, con and constructs. I was also in corporate America for 20 years. Right. So five years was this, this talk, but not knowing when I was You were on Wall Street, years, right. I, was on, I didn't talk, you know, have this talk then. But right. now that I'm looking back, yes, there were so many places where I had to change it. Around. I don't really share that part, but the, the thing is, is it does really do, it does apply. Um, it does apply. I, I guess, uh, and, and by the way, uh, I stripped out all the female examples, mm. but now I'm going to put them back. Right. I mean, I, I, I use those examples, but I, I had them kind of, you know, uh, planted towards women. Right. And we'll talk about that in, in a second. Um, 
But yeah, I think I think we have a good problem. I think we have a good secondary problem. I think we have a good solution. And I think if we do this correctly, then there's a good chance to win. So you've introduced this cream cheese and jelly sandwich at the so it's going to be. I was I came to this talk. I was asked to speak about resilience, and. At first, I didn't know what resilient meant, but then I went into the depths of my soul and my memories to try to come to this idea of what does resilience mean that would allow me to create an effective TED Talk and actually get all of you engaged, right? Because I don't want to talk about something that is not relatable. I don't want to talk about something that doesn't mean anything. Then I remembered I have a son. And then I remembered when he was five years old, I used to make him cream cheese and jelly sandwiches. Has anyone ever eaten a cream cheese and jelly sandwich? Do you know what that is? I know I, you probably had peanut butter and jelly, but I'm talking about cream cheese and jelly. So I used to make him these sandwiches. He used to eat them like hotcakes. He loved this. And then one day he came home, and he's like, Mom, I don't want to eat this anymore. And I looked at him. He's five years old. And I was like, but you love eating these. Why don't you want to eat? He's like, the kids in school are bullying me because I'm eating cream cheese and jelly sandwiches. And I'm like, why are they? He's like, because it's not peanut butter. It's like, but you like cream. She's like, yeah, but it's different than everybody else. And I don't want to get made fun of, and I don't want to get bullied. And in my head, the reason I think of this story when I think of resilience is because I told him that you're going to keep eating these cream cheese and jelly sandwiches, and you're not going to let anyone say anything about it. Now, d did he actually keep eating them at yeah, school? he still eats them. That's perfect, perfect. So He's older now. He doesn't care. Right. Five years old. Perfect. So, so what we're going to do is we are going to try to uh, create a, a, a story around this cream cheese and jelly sandwich at the very beginning. And the, I guess the funny part is like where you say you're going to keep eating this because you have to be resilient against all those other five, fifth, uh, first graders that, that are against your cream cheese and jelly uh, Desires, I guess, is what we're going to call it. Appetites. Appetites is what we're going to call it. And I think that's, that's going to get us somewhere. So now, this cream cheese and jelly sandwich essentially has become a metaphor for resilience. Mm -hmm. And then, so the, the way you bridge the gap between after you talk about cream cheese and jelly is you're going to talk about um, now as a, woman in, as a woman in corporate America and a professional leadership coach, I've had to figure out what resilience means to me after understanding what resilience meant for my son. And what I came to the conclusion was, uh, and the conclusion I came to, was that women in corporate America in particular, not, not everyone struggles with what I'm about to talk about, but women in particular, based on my experience, have a hard time speaking up because they have a lack of control, they have no support system, they feel suppressed, they feel like they have inferior opinions. And I would get into like the, the girl blog interrupted thing here. So we had our jelly sandwich stories, and we bridged the gap. The bridge of the gap, the way we get from uh, something funny about your son to you, is just, uh, I'm going to write me and circle it. What did I have to think about resilience? So what does resilience mean? You get into the story about your son. That should take about a minute. You explain the story, and you talk about what um, the story was in the context of resilience. Now, as a professional in, 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 in the work environment, I have to think about what resilience means to me. And the conclusion I came to, and then we get into women in corporate America. So we get to structure the problem. That's really important. After that, we get to, well, now that we know women in, in, Amer in corporate America have issues with, with, uh, with lack of control and no support, the question becomes, how do we solve lack of control? How do we solve uh, inferior op opinions? How do, we fall, how do we solve feeling suppressed? The power is not going to be at corporations changing. The power is going to be at individuals changing the corporations, which means that we have to figure out what is the most effective way to not 
feel a lack of empowerment in corporate America or in any type of workplace environment? Well, the question becomes, what is the most important thing that gets us results in these environments? Communication. Communi and then you go on a, rant, a little rant about communication. Communication this, communication that, communication that. Then you get into my framework for solving the problem that I think that my son had to face when he had, when he had cream cheese and jelly sandwiches and he was making fun of, or that women have to face in the real world. So it's kind of like light humor, right? You got super serious about this, but because you're talking about resilience in, in, from a first grader's perspective all the way from a women's perspective in corporate America at a senior position, we get to this speaking without apology thing that everyone can sort of adapt. My solution is a framework that I've developed over five years. By the way, it's not academic research, but I think it's better than academic research because I've been in the field with women talking to them about what problems do they have to deal with, and this is what I've come up with. People need to speak without apology. I'll say that again, you should write it down because you're gonna listen to it for the next couple years as long as I'm alive on this earth. You need to speak without apology. Now what does that mean? I'm gonna go through some keywords that I think people say in written communication, in nonverbal communication, in regular communication on a day-to-day -day basis in, in the workplace that leads to a lack of effective autonomy over their ability to assert themselves and be dominant in the workplace, which actually leads to a lot of physical weaknesses because it just, and then you get into that rant, et cetera, et cetera. And then you would get into the probably Alpha's server side way. Um, so, so cream cheese and jelly sandwich. So resilience, I'm gonna start brainstorming like the conclusion. It's like, um, now that you know how to not speak with apologies or now that you know speaking with apologies is important. Now that speaking, now that we understand why speaking without apologies is important, you too can eat your cream cheese and jelly uh, sandwich without worrying about what other people think. That's the essence of what I want it to be. Oh, I see. Now that you know how to speak without apologies, now you can confidently eat your cream cheese and jelly. Enjoy, so enjoy, and embrace your cream cheese and jelly sandwich. <laughs> Without caring about what other people think. Are you sure that's not a thing? I mean, there's no such thing as a cream cheese jelly sandwich. There really is not. I, I, I've never heard. It'll stand out. Now, now, here's the thing, right? So here's the, the psychology we need to talk about. Cream cheese and jelly sandwich at the beginning of the talk operates as a real life situation and a metaphor for resilience because of the story that is at the foundation of this cream cheese and jelly sandwich. Then at the end, when you bring it up, and this is why I went into Goodwill hunting so much, um, that, that sense of closure is when you're saying you too can eat your cream cheese and jelly sandwich, as soon as you say that, people will smile because they will recognize, they, they forgot about this sandwich while you were doing all this good stuff. Um, Once you bring it back, that's that sense of, ah. You too can eat your cream cheese and jelly sandwich. That simply means you too can stop giving a shit about what people think if you use SWA, which is why you want to say now that you know about SWA. Um, you, can, you too can eat your cream cheese and jelly sandwich, which operates as the metaphorical co correlation to the hook, which gives us closure, which gives your talk this kind of like um, construct of SWA. What I mean to say is it's, it's something memorable in the talk that can be understood. So for Simon, we talked about the three circles, right? For you, when people are talking about your talk, they're like, oh, the jelly sandwich, right? Like people are gonna be referencing that because it's the metaphor for being resilient. Mm -hmm. And it, it is totally in your control to position this sandwich, which means you have to tell the story really well under the sandwich so people understand why it means resilience, uh, to, to match 
to resilience. So you're not really changing the definition of resilience. The definition of resilience is eat that sandwich even if people disagree with you. Mm. Say what you want to say even if uh, it, 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 say what you need to say even if you want to dilute what you want to say, but don't do that just because, we only say just and but because of other people's opinions, mm -hmm. right? Because we're worried about what they will perceive. So we should not do that um, in the face of what other people think. We should eat that sandwich in the face of what other people think. At the end, eating your sandwich is telling people the thing they take home, the call to action, is eating that sandwich, meaning continue to do whatever you want without what, caring about what people think. Mm -hmm.